When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome back to our subcity with Grace Organiemi. Previously, in episode one, we looked at housing rights and statistics. And in this episode two, today, we're going to look at the causes of homelessness for the individual. Today's episode is one of two parts looking at the causes of homelessness. The first episode will look at the causes that relate to the individual, and the second will look at the housing market and wider issues. In these two episodes, I have slimmed down a lot of content to give an overview. In series two, I plan to unwrap each of these subjects in further detail. There are many reasons that might cause an individual to become homeless. Some are more clearly and extensively researched than others, so I have more sources to work from, but I'll look at each one. So looking at immigration status. A person's immigration status can result in them becoming homeless in many ways. We discussed in the first episode how, in order to be housed by the council, the person needs to be found to be eligible. To be eligible, they need to be a British citizen or have indefinite leave to remain. But what if someone doesn't have either of those and arrives in the UK with their immigration status undecided? If they are fleeing persecution from their home country, then they would need to apply for asylum. In doing so, they would need to meet with immigration and can be offered a place in a home office hostel while they wait for the home office to make a decision on their case. If their decision is successful, then they can stay in the UK. This doesn't always mean indefinitely. Having your decision approved after what seems like a long wait must make the person feel relieved. However, when a decision is approved, your home office accommodation comes to an end within 28 days. As a result, the individual's financial assistance as part of being an asylum seeker also stops and then they have to start a new claim for state benefits. If the individual doesn't have any family already in the UK to give you a local connection to an area, then no council will assist them with accommodation. This is because they don't, as we spoke about in the first episode, have a connection to any local area. 
In this situation, a number of people can end up sleeping rough. If an individual's claim is not successful, the process is not how people imagine. Immigration officials don't usually turn up with a letter and look to remove the person, although some may end up being detained in a detention centre. Instead, the person is sent a letter by the Home Office stating their application has been refused and they need to make arrangements to leave the country. Once this decision has been made, then they also have to leave their Home Office hostel. Sometimes individuals may have grounds to appeal this decision and sometimes they may return home. And other times they may just leave their Home Office hostel and may end up sleeping rough. The New Statesman recently reported on Serco announcing that they will start to change the locks on properties used by failed asylum seekers at a rate of 10 per week starting at the beginning of August. The company stated, as they're no longer receiving any financial assistance from the government for these individuals, they will change the locks. The same article reported that the Home Office grants 37% of applications at the initial stage, but at appeal and at court, the number increases to 57%. This shows that clearly, when decisions are made, they aren't always correct. But in the meantime, those people who are subject to incorrect decisions face homelessness and destitution. One of the biggest misunderstandings of immigration that isn't covered by the media is that if someone did voluntarily want to go home, it's not an immediate process. Someone could not show up at a home office building and state that they want to return home and immediately be booked on a flight. An individual may be able to apply for assistance from the government to return home, but not everyone qualifies for it. To apply, the person has to submit an application online and wait to hear back via letter or email from the Home Office. In 2014, EEA nationals were subject to benefit changes brought in by the government. Those who were in employment in the UK or had recently been made redundant were not subject to these changes, but those who had recently arrived could not claim any benefits for three months. After three months, those who were claiming job seekers' allowance would have to take a more robust habitual residency test. This test looks at whether they intend to stay in the UK and if they have significant ties here. If they pass this test, then they can only get JSA for six months. And once these six months were up, this would be reviewed and they will only be able to continue claiming if they can prove that they have a job offer or compelling evidence that they have a reasonable chance of finding work. But on the ground, what did this really mean for individuals who were in accommodation and were claiming benefits to help pay for that accommodation? It meant... If there were now questions about their eligibility, their claim could be stopped and they would lose their income until they could prove that they were still entitled to claim under these new changes. If they weren't already in accommodation when the changes came into force in 2014 and were looking for help with housing from their local council, it would be unlikely that they would have received any due to not being eligible for benefits assistance. So let's look at social care provision and young people that are leaving care. Young people leaving care face housing issues and are at an increased risk of becoming homeless. This is because over the years, young people have found that once they age out of the care system, the support and safety net they relied on quickly gets pulled away from them. Unlike those who aren't being looked after by the state, they can't simply phone a parent and ask for some advice or some financial help if they end up in trouble. But when they were a child, that is what the state was for them. Sometimes referred to as a corporate parent, they were meant to be there providing support and assistance as a parent does. And for the rest of the population, that assistance does not completely stop just because you've become an adult. Centrepoint recently carried out a study that found that 43% of young people felt that the professional that was supposed to be supporting them had been unhelpful in helping them think about their future housing needs 
One in four have sofa surfed and 14% have slept rough. Recently, the government has taken these concerns on board under the Children's and Social Work Act introduced in 2017. A young person can receive support from a personal advisor at social services up until 25, whether or not they're in employment or training or not. Like the Homeless Reduction Act mentioned in the first episode, it may be a bit early to comment on whether these changes have had the desired effect and have helped young people leaving care make a transition into adulthood without experiencing housing issues. So let's look at a lack of family support. I think it would be too simple to say that everyone who is homeless wouldn't be in that position if they had more family support. Our relationships with each other are varied and complex. A study published in 2002 by Lee Moss and Crane involving a number of charitable organisations interviewed those who were homeless about their relationships with family. It found most homeless people maintained some form of contact with family members, although the contact they had with those family members would vary in its frequency. Mainly homeless people identified that their family contact was important and valued, and some stated it involved actual emotional or practical support. The study found that the main point of family breakdown was between parents and children. Those interviewed mostly identified positive relationships with female family members, while the most lasting and supportive relationships were usually with siblings and grandmothers. I think we should also have a look at whether going to prison or being admitted to hospital can also result in someone becoming homeless. Being admitted to hospital or going to prison. Being admitted to hospital or going to prison can result in someone becoming homeless. In either situation, the person needs to notify the benefits department that their circumstances have changed in order for their rent to continue to be paid temporarily. Doing so is not as simple as it sounds. It might be the person needs to contact the local council or contact Universal Credit online. It depends on what benefits they are claiming, as slowly across the country claimants are moving over from a system that administered many different benefits into one payment called Universal Credit. If a person is in hospital or in prison or on remand, which means they haven't been sentenced yet, then they can receive housing benefit for 52 weeks. Once sentenced, the person can only receive housing benefit for 13 weeks. And if a person goes beyond these time limits, their rent won't get paid. And if someone is in prison or in hospital, they likely may struggle to be in a position to address this issue or even access support to be able to address it. This can result in rent arrears building up and the person being evicted. To make matters worse, anyone can be released from hospital at any time and sometimes they may be homeless and end up being released when housing services are all closed. Over the years I've worked in housing, I found it commonplace for prisoners who were homeless to be released when the council's homeless persons unit was closed. As a result, people end up sleeping rough. The Guardian reported in August that 100,000 prisoners over the last three years had left prison to unsettled or unknown accommodation. The added risk for prisoners and society as a whole is that they may end up re-offending, just so they have somewhere to stay, even if it is back in prison or in police custody. I think it's also important to look at how health issues, both physical and mental health issues, and even substance misuse, affect someone and may contribute to the reasons why they become homeless. When looking at whether a cause of homelessness is a mental health issue or a substance misuse issue, it's hard to separate those difficulties as being the cause as those who are already homeless more than likely struggle with the same issues. So it can be a bit like trying to work out what came first, the chicken or the egg. Crisis found, between 2013 and 2015, that two-thirds of the people they interviewed cited drug or alcohol issues as a reason for becoming homeless. 
the difficulties that someone experiences when they are homeless or at risk of becoming homeless, it's not surprising that they might experience a deterioration in physical health condition or their mental health, or they may find that they've started to use substances. On their website, the charity Mind identified the cycle around mental health and housing issues. Poor mental health can make it harder to cope with housing issues, and housing issues can make someone's mental health worse. Picture living in a house with repairs that aren't being fixed and already suffering from depression. Despite trying to get every available option to communicate with the landlord, they're just ignoring you. It is possible to see how this situation might make someone's mental health worse and that they may decide that there's little point in paying rent for a property that isn't being fixed. Well, unfortunately, just withholding rent isn't the best way to go about it because without following certain process before you start withholding rent, the person could find themselves being evicted and losing their accommodation due to rent arrears. Recently, Charlotte Ferber, policy and campaigns officer at the charity Mind, featured in a guest blog with Shelter. She said Mind surveyed over 2,000 people and found four in five people lived in accommodation that made their mental health worse. Furthermore, their research showed that two-thirds of people with mental health issues have at least one issue with the quality of their home. It's now meant to be illegal for a landlord to evict a tenant because they complained about repairs. However, Citizens Advice found that one in two who complained about issues like mould and damp would be served an eviction notice within six months. I expect that the reason that we haven't heard more about prosecutions stemming from this is because landlords are evicting their tenants using a Section 21 no-fault eviction. Therefore, the tenants and the authorities can't prove that they were being evicted for complaining about repairs, especially if the landlord maintains that they just need to sell the property. The BBC's Panorama programme covered this issue in their programme entitled Evicted for No Reason. Some landlords evict tenants just for complaining about the property. The housing charity Shelter claims thousands are affected by revenge evictions every year. who's a beautician, complained, and now she's out. She's lived in this house in rural Worcestershire for four years and has always paid her rent. Her landlord says he carried out repairs but was fed up with Julie's trivial complaints. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
it comes to being evicted, as a cause of homelessness, there are situations where people are evicted for breaching their tenancy agreement by subletting their property to someone else, or by not occupying their accommodation, or maybe due to antisocial behaviour. But for those of us who work in the sector, it feels like the majority of evictions are now taking place due to circumstances that the tenant can't control. As I mentioned previously, the UK is going through a change on how state benefits are administered and how they are paid. Previously, and still in the case in some areas, people claim what is called a passport benefit. They're like the main benefits, the job seekers allowance, employment allowance or personal and dependent payments. These payments would go to the individual fortnightly and they would use them to cover their personal costs like food and travel, etc. Separately, they could apply for housing benefit from their council to cover their rent or to contribute to a top up if they were working. The government decided in 2013, savings could be made by merging these two benefits into one monthly payment called universal credit. It's safe to say now this process has not gone to plan at all. The government started rolling it out in trial areas, but it seems lessons haven't been learned. Firstly, in 2013, universal credit hit the headlines as computer software had been developed to help administer it, resulted in an estimated £40 million write-off as it failed to meet the requirements they needed for the system. Recently, it seems like these problems have not been resolved, with a member of staff working on administering universal credit stating to the daily record that the system is so fundamentally broken and poorly designed that it guarantees severe problems with claims. Claimants are meant to wait 35 days for an initial payment. Channel 4's Dispatches series has recently looked into Universal Credit in an episode entitled Britain's Benefit Crisis. For five years, Dispatches has been investigating the rollout of Universal Credit. Combining six separate benefits into one was meant to make life easier for both claimants and job centre staff. But we went undercover and found computer systems which were frequently on the blink. Some life is being taken offline, so the system can be rebooted. And that staff were taught to hide certain benefits from claimants. Newcastle, one of the first cities to fully roll out universal credit in 2016. You had claimants saying the new benefit was bringing misery and hardship. Families increasingly resorting to food banks and charities telling us it was making people homeless. The government's biggest welfare reform in decades was in a bit of a state. The Independent spoke to Citizens Advice regarding the clients who approached them for advice around benefits. Citizens Advice stated they found universal credit forces people into debt because getting all the evidence needed together to make a claim is difficult and a quarter of claimants who've actually set up a claim were in debt due to waiting for their first payment. Someone who loses their employment can also find themselves in this situation if they end up having to make a claim for benefits. I remember when I first heard about universal credit and the government stated they wanted to assist those who were claiming benefits to learn to budget by getting paid monthly like those who are in employment. However, all of us in employment don't usually wait over four weeks for our wages to be paid. We also may have some of our salary from our previous job to fall back on. I think it's clear that no one can budget with nothing. In response to this, the government brought in the advance payment system where people can request an advance. 
However, Huffington Post published the fact that 70,000 people have done so, and I feel that this indicates that the system clearly isn't working from the start of a claim. In addition to the changes for universal credit, the benefit cap was brought in, reducing the amount that those who claim benefits can receive. Also, the bedroom tax was introduced, reducing the amount someone can receive in housing benefit if the council feels their property is underoccupied. Naturally, this chaos in the benefit system causes people to fall into arrears, which can lead to them being evicted. More so, it doesn't encourage landlords to keep tenants that are claiming benefits and who would be subject to these changes. Unfortunately, as stated in Crisis's longitudinal study, one of the biggest causes of eviction is being served of a Section 21, known as a no-fault eviction notice. With evictions from the private sector being the most common type of evictions, Panorama reported in their programme called Evicted for No Reason that there were more than 24,000 of these no-fault evictions last year. So that's 67 every day. Tonight on Panorama, we're with the families who've been ordered out of their homes. Can't sleep. Um, cried a million tears this night. Oh! The tenants evicted, but not told why. There were more than 24,000 of these no-fault evictions last year. Move, move, move. I can't just keep uprooting my family. So should tenants be evicted when they haven't done anything wrong? This is what the housing crisis is doing to families. The McGlashans are being evicted. They've fallen out with their landlord, and in the UK, that can cost you your home. The bailiffs are due to turn up tomorrow at 11am, um, at which point we will hopefully be gone. This is a no-fault eviction, or Section 21. Landlords don't have to give you a reason if they want you out. What the hell? Courts ordered more than 24,000 evictions like this last year. That's 67 every day. It's very common, you know. A lot of people are getting evicted now from the rented homes, and there's nothing you can really do about it. Eviction notice is served correctly, you can't challenge it. You've just got to take it and find somewhere else to go to. Her landlord wants to put the rent up by more than £400 a month. Now, Laura's a full-time account manager, but it's still more than she can afford. So she's out. The eviction and moving meant Laura missed a lot of work. She lost her office job. And you've got the space, do you think, now, Laura? For... The family don't have their furniture. They didn't get it out in time when they were evicted, and now the landlord is ignoring their calls. So the children are sleeping on the floor. We've heard that the reasons for homelessness are complex, and I hope I've provided some clarity. Now, with each episode, I plan to give a shout-out to organisations that are working to support those who are homeless or at risk of homelessness. Today, in addition to organisations I mentioned in episode one, I mentioned the Citizens Advice Bureau. They can advise those who are experiencing benefit issues and issues with their housing and help them to get these issues resolved. 
Bureau, you can find more details on their website by visiting www.citizensadvice.org.uk. Thanks for listening to our subsidy. If in the future our podcast receives advertising support, we aim to donate any net income to organisations we've mentioned, with details of donations published on social media. Please subscribe to our podcast and rate it and review it on whatever platform you are listening on. If you have questions or if you want to engage in the conversation, we can be found on social media at rsubcitypod. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.